Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Scott Stebbin Podcast. I hope you had a wonderful week and looking forward to this weekend. And joining me is Micah Current. Micah, how are you doing today? Man, I'm good. It's uh, it's another week, and I cannot believe that we're halfway through August and the pumpkin spice stuff is in full-fledged at all the stores and Halloween decorations. My wife and I actually saw Christmas stuff the other day. Right. Um, it's just, it's happening, whether we want it to or not. It'll be a new year. It'll be 2024 before we we can even blink an eye. So Yeah, I'm more of a salted caramel man myself. I, I, I've gotten burned <laughs> out on the pumpkin spice. I've, I, it's it's sort of thing where like if you... Like when I was a kid, I used to eat a lot of Kraft mac and cheese to the point where I can't eat it anymore because sure. I ate so much of it. Um, but that's another story for well, another time. <laughs> here's so I'm a big coffee person, uh, but a couple of years back, Starbucks. I'm a big Starbucks fan, but Starbucks changed their pumpkin spice syrup to something a little bit more organic, more natural. And ever since they've changed it, I can't drink it. I'll drink one pumpkin spice latte. A year and I'm done. I don't like it. Can be somewhere local. It can be Dunkin'. It can be Starbucks. I'll drink it and I'm done. So, um, but because they switched it, I used to drink them pretty like rapidly when when it happened. But um, uh, I asked the Starbucks on campus where I work last week if they had the pumpkin spice stuff, and they said they do. They already have it. Oh, <laughs> yay! So, um, yeah, I'm good. How are you? I, I'm I'm doing well. Can't complain. Can't complain. And did you also- survive EBS? Sorry, I did survive VBS. I did survive VBS. And boy, we went from having, I think total, we ended up having, we had about 79 students registered. Mm-hmm. And I think only like 47 of them actually showed up consistently through the week. We had some who were leaving on vacation on Monday. So they came to Sunday and that was the only time, which I get. I'm, I'm very flexible with it. But yeah, it was it was a good time. Um, and also joining us today, um, uh, someone who we've had on our show before, Jeanette Flynn. Jeanette, welcome to the show, or welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to be with you guys. Yes, and we're very excited about um, the topic we're going to be discussing, which is going to be about church health and church life cycles. But before we dive in, stories gone wild. And Jeanette, you've been on our show before, so you know <laughs> what this is all about. So I'll go ahead and start first as we're talking about coffee. So a buddy of mine um, years ago moved down to Florida with his wife to take a uh, youth pastor position years ago down in Lake Wales, Florida. And over the years, he kind of left that job and kind of got into coffee roasting and has like a coffee shop down there in Lake Wells, and things have been going good. Well, he was actually up in Columbus the other day, and he came to one of my bi-weekly game nights, and I got to see him after years. Like last time I saw him, uh, my son was probably two years old, and he's now going to be turning nine. So it's been a long time, but um, we were ta- I was talking with him, and I said, oh, what brings you into town? And he goes, oh, yeah, there's like a North American coffee roasting competition. I'm like, coffee roasting competition? He goes, wow. yeah, it's all in North America, and we're meeting at the Vineyard Church in Columbus, and that's where they're doing it. I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. So he's just like, yeah, we'll win awards. And then he says, and they started it last year, but they have like a world series of coffee roasting and it was in Austria last year, and that's the first time they did it. This year, it's going to be in Australia. And I'm sitting there listening to him talk about this coffee roasting competition. And when he said World Series of Coffee Roasting, I go, oh, is this going to be aired on ESPN? 
Probably ESPN3. ESPN3 or ESPN8, the Ocho. <laughs> but uh, I just thought that was interesting because I've never heard of a coffee roasting competition. So I was like, oh, but he actually bought this. He actually bought some really good coffee from like, uh, I think it's from Guatemala. And just the smell of it was great. And he was like, and then he left. And then I woke up in the morning. I looked right by my coffee roaster and there was his bag of coffee that he bought. So I texted him a picture, said, Hey man, I'm here all day. You can come by and pick this up before you leave. He goes, well, if I get over there, uh, I'll pick it up. But if not, it's fair game. You can have it. So I got some really good coffee because he never came and picked it up, (laughs) but I have to grind it in my coffee grinder. But other than that, like I'm pretty excited. I love it. What about you, Jeanette? What it's a story gone wild and again, it can be anything. It doesn't have to be about coffee. Oh my goodness. Well, I tell you, uh, you know, we were talking, Micah was talking about, you know, the summer and how fast it's gone. We decided mm-hmm. spring. I'm I'm always the glass half full kind of girl. You know, I we can do it. I can do anything. It's gonna be fine. We'll work it out. So we decided we were gonna landscape our backyard this year and I've got it all mapped out. I designed and we're going to do this whole thing with rocks and like a river, you know, <laughs> running down through it, rocks with colored rocks, rivers, mm-hmm. pavers and all of that. And uh, I kept telling Chuck kept saying, we need to hire this out. We need to hire this out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I convinced him we could do it. We can do this. And so, um, we are currently, we've got five tons of rock we've laid, and we're currently on our second patio of pavers that we're working on, except that it's on a slant. So we this week, we will be pulling those pavers up for the third time mm-hmm. and pulling them out of there <laughs> and leveling that ground again. I told Chuck, I'm convinced <laughs> we, we, we could do, we, we can do more than maybe some people think we can, not as much as I think we can. So um, you guys pray for me that <laughs> at least by Christmas, we can finish these pavers on the side of the house. <laughs> and pray for your husband that he doesn't say, okay, I'm calling somebody. This is oh, it. I'm my- calling somebody to do this. <laughs> no, I'm ready to call somebody. Some of these pavers. <laughs> are 16 by 24, you know? Mm. So I'm praying that by the end of the summer, the pavers are done and I'm still married to my husband. So there you go. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, Micah, what about you, my friend? Well, we, so we, we started remodeling our kitchen and our dining room. I think I started ripping that apart last January and, uh, you know, it's been going well, going well. And like we painted we ripped the floor up, we put new cabinets in, and we got to the portion where um, the sink is, right? The sink and the dishwasher. And I know nothing about plumbing. <laughs> nothing. And I'm terrified that if I, like, rip the sink out, I'm going to mess up a line or something. And it's just going to shoot water everywhere. So, Jeanette, I feel your pain. I'm going <laughs> to – I I think a couple of weeks ago, I totally – I was like, you know, it's about time we just call somebody because I want to have this kitchen done by the end of this year. So. So anyway, uh, but then like, you know, the contractor we were uh, going to use for like counters, this is not my story's gone wild, but it kind of went down that rabbit hole of uh, they told us that we were going to be without water in our kitchen for six weeks 
well, they cut mm-hmm. the countertops. So like they're that far behind when you go to order counters. Yeah. So to come out, once you put your new cabinets in and measure, and then once they measure, they go cut it, you know, they outsource it, then they deliver them, then they can put your sink in and hook your lines up. So it takes about four to six weeks for that to, to happen. Um, so anyway, story's gone wild. Um, today we're going to be talking about church health and church um, life cycles. And Jeanette, you've written curriculum for leadership focus. I have taught for you and for leadership focus for, I think, three semesters now. And it's just been really, really cool to, to see that and do that. Um, last week, Scott and I did an episode on kind of a response to the town hall meeting that Church God Ministries put out and went over question by question by question. And Scott jokingly has said to me over the last you know week or two weeks about how long it took or how, what did you say, Scott, how they were kind of combined the answers and yeah. Um, so anyway, um, the first question was about uh, how many churches in the United States don't have pastors right now, right? How many vacancies do we have? And Scott has talked about this numerous times on his show about uh, the struggle he had with finding a new church to pastor. And he, you know, the first church that really called him and had any sort of uh, merit or, you know, right. pool to find a job was the UMC that he's working at right now, which he, he loves the church he's at and it's great. And he said it was a whole lot easier than any church of God position that he's applied to or interviewed for or ended up being a part of. So um, in most circumstances, I like to listen back to the show just to, just to hear, you know, you know, make, well, first and foremost to make sure that I don't sound like a, like a doofus and I don't, you know, uh, <laughs> You know, like say anything and put my foot in my mouth because I have a habit of doing that. And I admit that. And, you know, Lord, forgive me. Uh, But um, we got to the point in last week's episode, Alicia and I were on our way home the other day and we were listening to the Scott Stemmon podcast, self shameless plug. Um, And the uh, Alicia looks at me and she's like, I don't think that's unreasonable. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I don't think it's unreasonable to a know how many churches don't have pastors and B, how many church plants there are in the United States? Like, how many pastors do we know? How many friends do we know that are struggling in ministry and are going through a transition or need a new position or, you know, X, Y, Z? And so I thought, you know, that it was perfect, you know, kind to kind of segue into today, to today's topic about church health and church life cycles. But it gets better. So that was Friday. And then my brother Lonnie calls me Saturday. And my sister-in-law, Michelle, they FaceTime me and they're like, how you doing? They always check in with us or whatever. And we... um. But Michelle like snatches Lonnie's phone and she's like, I have a question for you. I'm like, okay, what's going on? They, they go to a church in Northeast Ohio and I'm not sure of the name and I'm not going to share the name just for, for confidential purposes, but they, they have, uh, you know, as Jeanette would say, they're at the end of their life cycle, right? They're not doing well. So um, without going down a huge rabbit hole, the, um, they had a senior pastor who died and passed away of cancer a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Shortly before passing, the pastor, I think, withdrew from the Church of God or stopped paying membership or just completely, right? Their buildings paid for and everything, so they kind of just, right? And so my brother, who was on the uh, the pulpit committee to, ha- to find a new pastor, was like, I don't even know if we're Church of God. So what happens if we close? <laughs> and so my my wife looks it up. Apparently, if you're a nonprofit 501c3 in the state of Ohio and you're not associated or affiliated with any church, you know, denominationally or non-denominationally, and you don't have anybody to cover that, it goes back to the state. 
I don't know if that's the same throughout the rest of the country, but like if, if a church closes its doors and it's a nonprofit, Jeanette, correct me if I'm wrong, you're looking at me kind of funny. Um, I, <laughs> I think, I think they just shut their doors and that money goes back to the state and then the building and they assume the title and the property and everything. The state um, of Ohio or this, the church of God? Uh, the state of Ohio, the state kind of assumes the the property. If the church of God does not own it. If it they, de- it depends on if the deed was conditioned to the state of Ohio. That's that, that's what I'm talking about. Like, so if they the don't... deed has not been conditioned, if the, if the deed has not, then really it's the responsibility of the church to figure out, like if they close their doors, they still have to pay yeah. any type of property tax, any type yep. of that stuff until, until that building is sold. Now, when the building sold, right. then the church technically gets all that money and then they have to figure out what they want to do with that. If they want to, Divided amongst all the members that were there when the door closed. They, they can't do that. They can't do that. No, okay. no. A not-for-profit, when it okay. closes, can only, the, the the funds can only go back to a not-for-profit. Now, we have had okay. some churches that closed, and I'm not joking, talk about tales gone wild. We had one church that closed, and they gave all of the money to the pet shelter in their community. Interesting. All right. It's a not-for-profit. Mm. The f- cannot go to any individual or to a for-profit organization. Any not-for-profit that closes, has their funds have to be returned to another not-for-profit. So, mm. so all that to say, mm. my brother and sister-in-law called me over the weekend, and they have no idea. The church is like down to like 15 people Ooh. and they don't, they don't have any idea if the church is actually affiliated with the church of God anymore, or if it's conditionally deeded, like Scott was saying, they have no idea. And like, they don't know what the pastor did. And then the pastor passed away. And so it's like, who knows? Right. Bylaws. Check their bylaws. Yeah. And, and I told them that. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, you can't, you know, they were like, well, there's no way we're going to, um, you know, find somebody to pass through this church. And they, they had found a pretty strong candidate and he, I, apparently he, uh, is older, but he is willing to, you know, to preach and, and whatnot. And they have a parsonage and X, Y, Z, but like he wanted, you know, X number of dollars. Well, if you're a church of 15, I'm pretty sure you can't afford X number of dollars. I don't, you know, I'm just saying like, right. Like there's just like, you have to think you have to not only pay the bills, you know, to yeah. keep the church open and you want to pay a salary. So that's, I, I it's, it's really sad is what it is. My yeah. brother just was upset. Cause he's like, I, I can't do anything. He's like, we're the youngest people there and we're in our fifties. So, um, yeah, it's stories gone wild. It kind of like piggybacked off of the last week's show answering those questions. And then, you know, Alicia was, you know, Alicia looked at me dead serious. And he's like, I don't think it's unreasonable for, for people to know, uh, how many, you know, vacant, uh, you know, ministry positions are out there and then also how many church plans we're planning because you know i don't know what this should be well-known yeah and i don't i don't know what the stats are today um Mm -hmm. jeanette you told me time and time again that the average stay of a church got pastor is like 18 months or a pastor period is 18 months i don't remember which one specifically an associate Mm -hmm. associate okay is that church of god or is that just churches period pretty much Churches, period, Church of God, that's our, that would, has been our, in the past, 18 months for an associate, three to five years for a senior. And then uh, I think I read something, you know, a couple of years ago that said, 
I don't know, it's like 4,000 churches close every year. Yeah. Something like that. The nation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, she seemed a bit concerned and I'm like, well, I'm not surprised. I mean, like my, my wife is very analytical and loves a spreadsheet. And so she's like, why is there not a spreadsheet somewhere that says, Hey, this is how many churches are vacant. And this is how many churches we're planting. And this is how many churches that are planted that are succeeding. And, um, you know, we, that's a whole separate topic about planning and, uh, mm-hmm. why are we planning and not fixing the churches that exist and X, Y, Z. So, um, Today's topic, church life cycles and church health, Jeanette, you've uh, written, like I said before, curriculum for the leadership focus modules. Um, Talk to us a little bit about both life cycles and church health. And I know that you're very passionate about both and um, I am too. And I know that Scott is. So uh, let us have it. uh, Thank you so much for the invitation to talk about that. Um, Church life cycles and church health is probably one of the the greatest, I think, one of the greatest needs happening among not just Church of God, but literally across churches across um, North America um, to be able to um, help leaders and congregations begin to really think strategically. Here's the, here's the issue. Too many times in churches, and I tell churches this all the time, too many times we have this kind of ethereal, magical view that if I'm serving God and I'm doing right things, then good things will happen to me. Number one, that's bad theology. But secondly, if I'm serving God and God loves me and and we're singing hymns, surely the church will grow. That's, mm. I mean, that's a, that's such dead end thinking. I cannot even tell you how bad that is, and mm. and it's largely, you know, it it it's so sad because as a person, I know full well that. I should be looking for symptoms. And just because I sleep at night and eat during the day or whatever, whatever, my health, I've got to pay attention to symptoms. I need to see a doctor and find out why is this happening. Sometimes I don't even see the symptoms. Blood pressure, perfect illustration. Um, but when they test me, when there, someone looks into my life and takes some evaluations, they can tell me exactly what's happening. That's true in a church too. So wrote the curriculum, placed it into leadership focus and teach it every opportunity I get just to help people wake up and go, oh, 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 you mean that's really what we should be looking at. And so um, I, I'm just dismayed by the number of people who actually believe, well, if we just love Jesus and we pray and we sing, won't we grow? And they can't figure out why they don't. And mm-hmm. so um, the curriculum and teaching, you know, Micah, every candidate that goes through leadership focus, which is anybody being ordained in the church, God, has to go through this material. It's my one um, shot at making sure that they at least have had that information given to them somewhere along the line. Yeah. I'm I'm also amazed at like, you can tell, like 
the word health, right? I, I'm thinking, you know, it's amazing how, you know, coming out of COVID and coming out of 2020, that was a big, you know, punch to the stomach as far as mental health was concerned. People were really struggling and still are to this day and uh, making mental health a, a thing and making it people aware of it. And I think that people, um, I mean, what would you say to the pastor who's pastoring a church of 50, who's bivocational, who um, is trying to keep the lights on, preach the sermon, making his own slides. Uh, she's running the, the soundboard. She's running the live stream. She's, you know, making sure everything is running, making the coffee. All right. Hugging, kissing babies and, and getting up and preaching. Right. Like, mm-hmm. They're, the, the church health is the last thing they're thinking of because they're just trying to get through the day. What do you say right. to somebody that that's going through that kind of motion or uh, that kind of, you know, is it too late at that point? Or is it just, hey, I, I, full transparency over the last year, two years, I've or no, more so just the, the last year, I took a, a break from serving locally in the church. And the cool part about that is that Alicia and I get to go visit churches and go see people that we know and love and appreciate and pastors that we've built relationships with, especially in this community where we live. And, um, you know, one of the pastors took me to lunch a couple of weeks ago and he was like, so what do you see? What do you, what are some things like, he's like, we know that we're struggling. What would you do? And like, I tell them and then they don't do anything with that information. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, why did you ask me? So I know it's kind of a loaded question, but what do you say to the person that, you know, is, turning the lights on and preaching the sermon and, and doing everything. And then their the church health is the last thing they're really concerned about. Yeah. Boy, you know, sometimes Micah, there's very little you can say to them because they don't really want to hear what it's going to take, um, which is true. You know, we we're talking about physical health um, and how it's a great analogy to spiritual health in a church, you know, church health, uh, not everybody wants to do something when the doctor says to him, you need to lose 50 pounds. You need, <laughs> you know, that doctor tells them, says to them, you know, you're pre-diabetic, you need to lose 50 pounds, this, you know, your heart, da, 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 da. And they go home and go, oh, yeah, yeah. and nothing <laughs> changes. And you just wonder what in the world are you, do you not think the doctor know? You just wonder. And here's the key, Micah. They don't want to pay the price. I don't mm. give up what I'm doing. What I, I I don't want. I don't want to give up my comfort zone. I don't want to give up my lifestyle. I don't want to give this up, and I don't want to pay the price. Mm. And unfortunately, I, I you know I, I'm interim pastoring right now, and I I think I tell them about every other Sunday um, if we're going to turn this around it will be very costly. You will be very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And there will be days you will wonder, is it worth it? And my answer to you is, it will only be worth it if our vision is about the kingdom and eternal. If our vision is about how we're feeling, it won't be worth it because I'm miserable. But if I can get a perspective, a kingdom perspective, and unfortunately, we are so you know, focused on how I'm feeling or how this is working for me or what, you know, what I think that I can't get beyond myself. Mm -hmm. 
I can see it in people. I see it in churches. Do you, do you think it's because um, like what you're saying, you, you said earlier about the, you know, we're just going to go through the roteness of, okay, we're going to, we're going to welcome to church. Let's stand together. Let's sing a couple of songs. Let's pray. Let's hear the word of God. Let's pray and go home. And there's, it's not kingdom building. Is that, do you think that's, that's like one of the main issues as to why churches are in decline because they're not, they're just going through the, the roteness of it or the motions? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you go through the roteness and sometimes you do that, I think most of the time you do that out of um, an ignorance. And I don't mean ignorance in a demeaning way, but I mean it in a Webster dictionary way. They just are not aware. They don't know. So like this congregation I'm, I'm working with now, I've been there since May. And uh, just last month, I was able to go through uh, the life cycle teaching with them and talk to them. And literally, this was with the board, board of elders. There are 11 of them, um, which that's another whole story. But there are 11 of them. At least there's not seven boards or seven committees. Exactly. There is that. Well, there's 12 your blessings, them, right? have to play the role of Judas, right? <laughs> <laughs> So maybe eleven's a good number. <laughs> but well, but what what happened to Judas then? Maybe we needed Judas. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they got him mixed. Maybe someone else is a Judas, and they have to. We don't got the wrong know. guy. Matthew's the one missing here. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, they they were like, "Why haven't we ever heard this before? Why didn't we ever know this before?" Mm. So it's it's you know, there's that piece. Let me give you another reason why I wrote the material and teach it and have my coaches teach it. Uh, This statistic is true. About 10% of pastors, and this is true interdenominationally, about 10% of pastors um, have the skill set, the abilities, the personality, the hard wiring, the soft wiring, about 10% can actually turn a church around, lead a church into health on their own. They, they, they've got what it takes, the skill set, so forth and so on. 80%, and this has been proven over and over, 80% of pastors can do it if they have a coach and they listen to the coach and the coach helps them make the incremental changes they need to make. Mm-hmm. You know, there's about 10% that can't do it, you know, with a coach. But part of our problem is we are so, um, you know, we're so autonomous in our thinking that it's, I don't know, it's almost like, it's almost like shame if I say I need a coach. I can't turn this around on my own. I'm going to need somebody to help me Tell me how to do this. Um, A lot of time pastors look at it as kind of like a demotion. It is. Yeah. Like, well, why are we paying him if he doesn't know what he's doing? Or why should we hire her if she's going to need a coach? Yeah. Uh, Um, I'm actually. (laughs) No, Scott's not feeling well, right? (laughs) No, 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 no. I I, I understand. I understand that. But my, my bigger thing is, you know. You know, I, I look in the Bible, just looking at biblical examples, there have been times where there has always been, besides like maybe the prophets, but I mean, you had 
you had Aaron and Miriam with Moses. Um, you've had Paul and you've also had Barnabas and Silas. You, I mean, if, I mean, I, you even had Jesus in the 12, if we want to go that far, but there's always been an idea of a group of people trying to lead because, you know, let's face it, not one person can do it all and know it all. Right. Um, based on their education, based on their experience. There's a, there's so many, many factors. So when people start having that mindset, like, well, why do we have to hire this consultant or this person to come in to help, you know, recognize the life cycle and where they're at in the life cycle? It's like, well, how come, why are we paying this guy to do it? Well, because that person may be skilled in that, but they may not be very skilled in doing any type of like church care. Yeah. And and then you kind of are now got you got this one person who's very good at understanding life cycles and what do we need to do, but they're not visiting your elderly. He's they're not visiting the elderly in the homes, and it's like okay, well then that's a big issue too. So I don't know. Well, I just feel like that's kind of. I was. Go ahead, Jeanette. Oh, I'm sorry, but Scott, here's the deal: mm-hmm. in the church, we have this mindset that the mm-hmm. pastor should be good at everything. They should be good at visiting. They should be good at preaching. They should be good at life cycles. They should be good at theology. They should be good. And and we've got this mindset that don't, don't they come fully loaded with everything we're ever going to. And the answer is no, they don't. (laughs) Unless we're willing to get to that place, Micah, we'll never have church health until we begin to have actually a healthy view of ministry again. And Mm -hmm. Scott, I think you're hitting on something and it's nobody does it alone. Moses needed Jethro to say to him, this is not a good thing you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Barnabas to come along and tell him how to do it. Apollos needed Quill and Priscilla. We all need coaches in our lives. Mm -hmm. Timothy needed Paul coaching him. We Mm -hmm. all need it. But in the church, we somehow don't, I got it. I can do it myself. Or we expect the pastor to know and do everything. And Mm -hmm. it gets us into such trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I always tell volunteers and leaders, who's your Timothy, right? Who's your Timothy? Like if you're Paul, who's your Timothy? Um, What I was going to say is that um, I just finished my last um, summer school class, graduate school class of the summer uh, last week. Um, getting ready to turn my paper in for that but the the research that i did for this class was what would it look like to to write a graduate certificate or a graduate degree curriculum for the division that i work in at the college that i work in and um i had to do a series of interviews and a ton of research right my paper was like 35 pages um scott's writing a dissertation so he understands um Mm. (laughs) uh how's that coming by the way um but uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so I did, um, a series of interviews and one of the interviews that I did, uh, her name was Donna and she works for, um, one of the art museums in downtown Cincinnati. And she looked at me and she has a plethora of education, like two bachelor's degrees, a master's degree, like three or four graduate certificates. And she said the number one thing that folks lack coming out of college or going into the workforce is administrative skills. Mm-hmm. It's like agree. the things that they don't teach you in higher education, the, teach, the things they don't teach you in a trade school or in college or in high school or wherever you get your source of education is that, you know, spreadsheets, budget, 
social media, graphic design, YouTube, videography, video editing. Those are all like administrative skills. Like you could be perfect at public speaking, like circling back to the church conversation. But like if you're a solo pastor at a church and you don't know how to keep books, you don't know how to do a spreadsheet, you don't know how to, to run Google Suite, you don't know how to run Adobe, you, you know, you're barely just getting your sermon written every week because you're visiting people and like, and, and yes, it's like, who's your Timothy, right? Like, who are you going to have help you? Who are you equipping and bringing along? Because that's not your strong spot back to, to what you said, Jeanette. Um, it's, it's no wonder churches are struggling because yes. like, if you can't, if you don't have somebody to do the books, if you don't have somebody to do, and like, and that's like, you know, I, I look at Scott as a great example of like, you know, they brought him into this UMC it's it's partially because he was not associated with the UMC. He has a skill set, obviously, but he also, you know, they're just amazed at his progress because he has outside perspective and outside leadership and outside skills that he can bring to the ministry. And, you know, he's just, you know, a whole separate conversation that he's had with his pastor. Like, what is this Church of God doing? Like, she talks to him about <laughs> that because she's UMC, right? And she's like, you know, they have wonderful conversations, but like, they brought him in purposely because of his skill set. And, you know, I, you know, you know, full transparency over the years have pastored in different churches. And it's like they bring you in to be the catalyst for change. And then Jeanette, like what you're saying, they don't want the change. Want the change. They want to keep coming to church. They want to keep praying and they want to keep worshiping and they want to keep hearing the word of God. Nothing wrong with the three things I just said, but you're not doing kingdom work. You're not doing kingdom building. You're not doing that gut health. You're not doing that. Uh, check of like where are you on the life cycle and where are you and like I just wrapped up my my third semester of teaching and I had a really good um, illustration of this one of my students um, I can't think of her name off the top of my head but her church was in northeast Ohio I think it was in the Maslin area she grew up in that church she's now the children's pastor of that church the church went down to like three people mm. right three families uh, three people or three families. I don't remember what it was, but like they came in one day and they were like, we're dead. We have, we literally shut our doors or we turn it around now. And now they're thriving and they're running three to 500 people every week. Wow. Yeah. And they, but they had to really do that assessment oh, yeah. right. and really say, Hey, we're turning this around. They hired a new pastor. They got staff and their yeah. children's ministry is busting at the seams. And it's like, it's all because they realized where we are in that life cycle. And if we don't turn this around, we're just going to shut these doors and we're going to be done forever. So uh, whatever you want to say or wherever you want to pick up, you know, I, I know I kind of went on a little sermon there, but yeah, it's. No. Uh, no, I just did a town hall about a month ago with the whole church. And in the, in the town hall meeting, I made the statement, um, this church is dying. Mm -hmm. And when I made that statement, and there was probably maybe 50, 60 people there. One of the older ladies literally gasped and started to cry. Hmm. And and she said to me, you just kicked me in the stomach. And it's like, I I know. I actually know. And I I you're you're right. I I'm sure that was the feeling. But unless we get to that place, like these this church you're talking about, Micah. Unless we get to the place where I'm willing to face reality and call call death death, call dying dying, unless I'm willing to confront this, 
I'm going to keep sliding right into oblivion. And you can deny it all you want. You can deny, well, we've got a bill. I hear churches all the time. We got a building. It's all paid for. You know, well, well we've got. What are you doing with it? Exactly. Exactly. But they've got a building. There's still people meeting and they still have church. That's their criteria for if they're a church or not. It's like, you are so far off base. You don't even know where the plate is. I, I love when, when churches go, uh, you know, Hey, we're debt free. We have this wonderful building. We're a congregation. And then we reach, and then like a community uh, organization reaches out and says, Hey, we'd love to rent this space. That's community outreach. But mm-hmm. then they're offended and appalled by the fact that somebody wants to come and use their space. I'm like, that's, kingdom building that's partnership that's you're gonna get our our carpets all dirty you're you're rubbing elbows yeah. with folks in the community i'm like <laughs> how backwards are we I know. <laughs> and well, then well, and, go ahead well, even even to kind of go at that point i can remember the first church I ever took at i was bivocational out in Cortland, ohio and by the time i left we had a weight watchers group in there and they were using closet space to store all their like weight watchers food and everything in our pantry because we had some space we had we had the na group already there established and then we had a there was another and then there was a driving school because we were only two blocks from the high school wanted to use our space to teach classes and use our parking lot to do like their maneuverability courses so by the time i left they had those three community groups thriving in that church before I left to go down to Virginia and everybody, anytime when I would bring it up to the elder board, they're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Whereas when I was in Virginia, anytime we'd have like a hit group coming in, a women's workout group coming in or anything else, it was like, okay, well we have to, and I mean, I get the point where they wanted to make sure, well, we want to make sure they have supplemental insurance. We want to make sure all the I's and T's, but instead of saying, yeah, let's do it. And then kind of figure out the details later. It was like, we spent so much time talking and debating about, well, do they have insurance? What happens if they don't have insurance? Is it going to cost us more insurance if we, and even though they were still kind of like on board, everything at the beginning of it was just so bogged down with just the what ifs and the buts and how's this. And it's like, Let's just say yes, and then what? And then let's figure out the details later. Because if we're all excited about this, and that's going to go into them feeling like, okay, we have a place that we can belong and really do something within this space that this church is giving us. Well, everything we're talking about literally balances on the very first thing of a life cycle, the the beginning of a life cycle, what launches a life cycle? Um, how do we stay healthy uh, as a church? Everything we're talking about is vision um, and, and, and values, to be honest with you, but vision. And here's why, Scott, what you were just talking about, what, what is the vision of the church? Is it to do outreach or is it to make sure we've crossed the T's and dotted the I's? What What is the vision? Is it that we have a building that's paid for and we got a pastor and we have church every, and you know, that anybody could come. We'd be glad for anybody to come. Our vision is so, <laughs> and you know, and that this is going to take me on a rabbit trail too, Micah, that Part of our vision is so distorted because the Western church here in the U.S., but the Western church 
has totally skewed and misunderstood. We we've re rewritten the Bible to suit us, to mm-hmm. make us feel comfortable in our culture. And we've, we've lost our clear kingdom theology and understanding that Jesus talked about when he said, give it all up. If you don't lose everything, you can't find me. And if you don't lose your life, you can't save your life. And we, we don't get that in our Western debt. We've, we've rewritten the script so that we're comfortable and we're taken care of. And so vision, vision, I, I don't think we anymore have a kingdom vision of what it means to be sons and daughters of the most high God in an outpost of heaven here on earth on mission Hmm. to literally invade a broken and dark world. Hmm. I heard a really, speaking of visiting churches, we went to a different church yesterday and just visited and, um, it's like five minutes down the road from us. I'm like, I had, we'd never been there. And so, uh, it, you know, it was a Baptist church and, you know, Baptist theology and the whole, um, eternal salvation, one saved, all saved kind of thing. And, um, I have never been there. Specific, I've worked in Baptist churches and I have no issue with that, but he, he preached in, uh, he preached a message on sin yesterday. And I couldn't tell you the last time I heard a message about sin exactly. and, uh, I- not in the, not to get into a super uh, theological conversation, uh, but he, you know, he he's like, when you're sinning, you're outside the will of God, and when you're outside the will of God, you're not in communion with Him, and you want to be in communion with Him because when you're in communion with Him, you're better because of that. And so it it was the best message I've heard in a long time. Good. And. Uh, but I, I thought to, uh, coming out of that church uh, yesterday, I was like, how many pastors are even preaching on things like sin? Exactly. And preaching on things like, uh, you know, the Great Commission and Acts 2 and and, and biblical topics. Like it, going back to what you said, Jeanette, about the, you know, we 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 preach things to make us comfortable. We teach yep. things that make us comfortable. We, we westernize yep. Yep. Uh, things that make us comfortable. And I think that, you know, there's so many... Um, things wrong with that. And we're just so backwards. And like, I was, um, you know, Alicia and I've have struggled through this, 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 uh, this season of our life trying to find a church. And we were at dinner last night and we we're having this conversation of like, okay, I want great worship, but I can't sacrifice great worship for lackluster teaching, but I want really great teaching and I can't sacrifice that for lackluster worship. And there's like, there's gotta be a balance. Right. And there's got, and like as a worship leader and as a, as a pastor and somebody who's worked in churches, I'm like, Oh, I friend, I want to help you friend. I just want to, I, but I can't be the catalyst to do that. Right. Like I can't, like I have to know my limits and know that it's okay to just go in and, and kind of just feel the things and not take over. And, but at the same time, I have a point for all this, but like the, the idea of, um, you know, being okay with where you are, mm-hmm. as long as there's sound biblical teaching and then offer, you know, offer advice and offer, um, you know, insight. And like to what you were saying, I've worked at so many churches in the last 
three to five years where I've often told I wasn't good enough or often told that I wasn't what, what I was doing was, was not great. Or they were more worried about how well I was doing performance wise mm-hmm. rather than the heart of, right. you know, some of the most powerful and intimate worship moments that I've had in my career and as a pastor and a leader is when I get caught up in the Holy Spirit's presence and I just sob on that stage and we just sit in his presence and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying we have to do that every single time, but like you said, you know, we're in the presence of God. Like it doesn't matter. Like that should, his name should be magnified. His presence should be magnified. That's a cool word magnified. Uh, You know, all those things need to be considered. And so like, we joke and we caught up about the fact that like, Oh, you're in my pew or, yeah, uh, you know, we didn't start on time or pastor preached 20 minutes, you know, longer than normal or Jeanette, you add, you know, make your list about the, you know, the different things. But like, you know, one of the questions I had on our outline and I know that we've not done a great job of, of sticking to that, which is fine. <laughs> but like, you know, I, one of the questions that I posed or the first two questions that are really posed was, do you, do churches even know or realize when they're on the life cycle, where they are on the life cycle? And then are churches, uh, are most churches beyond repair? Can they turn it around? What steps should be taken? And, 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 and I'm like, given the conversation that we've had, if they keep going on the trajectory that they're going on, then the answer is no. Yeah. And yeah. I, and I, and I've shared this and, you know, when you've know with Scott on numerous episodes, but I drive around the, the community where Alicia and I live and I just start to weep. Because mm-hmm. I see churches and I'm like, they're not going to be there in five years. Right. They're not going to be there in three years because I've led worship in these spaces, Jeanette. And these people, the average age of folks is between yeah. 50 and yeah. 90 years old. Yeah. And if you don't invest and if you don't have younger people and if you don't, you know, bend to, you know, to the will of the father, then you're just not going to be there. So right. I don't well, know you, if you have. There's a grenade in the room for that, that I use with congregations and I'll use it this morning with us. Um, Cause I use it on me all the time uh, to be honest with you. When we talk about the health of churches and too many times we're super, super focused um, on that, the church corporately, we're super focused on what they're doing for worship and how they're doing and where they are on the life cycle. When the truth of the matter is a church is only as healthy as the individuals in the church mm-hmm. spiritually. So when I'm teaching life cycles, I will often say to individuals like my board of elders, I will say to them. So I want to know if you know at least three of your neighbor's names, first names and their children's name. Do you know your own neighbors? Are you aware and, and what's your relationship with them and have you in any way or respect shared Christ? That is almost, I mean, I'm I'm in the high 90 percentile of people looking at me as though I've just spoken Russian. Well, Jeanette, Acts 2, right? What's what's Acts 2 say, right? In my Bible, this Bible right here, it says fellowship of believers. And then it goes in verse, uh, so chapter 2, verses uh, 46. And day by day, attending the temple together, they break, breaking your bread in their homes and they receive the food with glad and generous hearts. And then I looked up what the definition of fellowship is. You just said, what'd you say? 
three neighbors, knowing what they are, who they are, where they are, where they work, their family, et cetera. That's their children's what is name. That? But, but what is that? Fellowship. Yes. Right? It's what is the definition? Of, I Googled the definition of fellowship. Friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. Yeah. Don't you love Jesus? <laughs> the simplest theology, I've heard it once, I heard it a long time ago, but the simplest theology, theologian of them all was Jesus, right? Yeah. Love your neighbors. Yeah. Go into all the world and what? Make disciples. Yeah. Acts 2, break bread together, love each other, fellowship together. I'm kind of convinced that we don't really believe there's a hell. Mm. I really am. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly convinced that the church no longer believes in hell. Let's just hang up the car right now. <laughs> I'm just I mean, no, I I, I, yeah. I know it's sad. It's a sad, uh, a sad reality. I actually spoke with a, there's a, a lady that works uh, in the same building that I do, and I found out that or we do birthday celebrations like quarterly and like gather everybody's birthdays, and um, I found out this this person doesn't celebrate their birthday, and I'm like, that's kind of odd. Why don't they celebrate their birthday? Mm. Apparently, she's Jehovah's Witness, Goodness, and yeah. so I went in one day and I said, hey. Uh, she asked me something about the church. I told her, uh, she's like, you got any plans uh, on the Monday that you're not, I don't work in the office on Monday. And so that's typically the day I teach my leadership focus course. And I told her that I teach leadership focus. And she's like, well, what is that? And I was like, well, it's a course for folks to get ordained and they have to do modules. And there's a, it's a three-year process for ordination in the church of God. And, um, you know, I went to seminary and all these things. And she was like, I was like, so what, so what are you? Or like, you know, what, you know, what faith are you? And she told me Jehovah's witness and she, she started telling me all these things. And I'm like, hell was one of those things. They don't believe in a burning hell. Yeah. Mm-mm. No, they, they also believe that like, you can just be buried and have some sort of second chance mm-hmm. when they believe in a rapture, right? When a rapture happens, then you will have a, a second opportunity to come to faith. And I, what? Um, Nothing that I've ever, like, we had a really good conversation and I'm not discount, I, 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 discounting that, but like, um, I would agree there, there are people that just don't agree that no, I don't think we do. I think we, I think we would say intellectually we do, but I don't think in the church anymore, we actually have a concept or believe that there's a real hell. I don't think we believe in that anymore. And I'm, I'm not talking about, by the way, you know, fire and brimstone, Hell, hell is that removal from the presence of God. Mm. Uh, and I think there's a whole lot of people that are comforting themselves that, um, well, if you die without Christ, you know, you just eternal sleep. You just d- stop. You stop existing kind of a thing. If we really believe there was a hell. Mm-hmm. And it was separation from God. I think we'd be a whole lot more passionate about knowing your next door neighbor's name mm. and what they're going through and how you might be able to love them and serve them and maybe own the opportunity to share Christ with them. And you see, you can, you cannot have a healthy church until you have healthy individuals in the church. And mm. honestly, part, part of, Part of why we're where we are, it's not only the life cycle of a church. My friend, it's the life cycle, the the spiritual life cycle within my own heart, within my own being. 
um, and, and within us as individuals. And when that happens, that's when the spark starts. That's when the energy, that's when you told me about Maslin. When you get down to those three families and they say, come hell or high water, we're turning this around, right? Mm-hmm. Because we we are going to reach people for Christ. When you begin to really have a passion in your own heart to get to know your neighbor, to get to understand what they're going through, to love them in the middle of their mess so that you can tell them who it is that can help them with the mess. That's when a church will change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I know that you're in this illustration, you're talking about like, like your physical neighbor, or like who you sit next to at church, right? Is that, is that I'm correct? I'm talking about the guy that lives next door to me in my neighborhood. Yeah. I'm that's about, what I, that's I, I interpret it. I'm talking oh, no, 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 no. I was, I was saying both. I was getting there, but I was, oh, both. both. Yeah, yes. I was but, but like in this, you know, in the illustration you're talking about, like, but what I was going to say is how many people don't know their neighbors, A, in church. Yes. And then B, you know. I, I'm guilty of that, right? There's a there's an African American man that lives across the street, and Alicia and I like make fun of him because he mows his grass like he's in his 80s. He mows his grass probably three times a week, and I'm lucky to mow it once, right? Like so, um, but he's the the sweetest man ever. But I don't, I couldn't tell you his name. Uh, see, why is that? Because we're because we're we're so introverted as humans, I guess. I don't know if that's the, no, that's a, we, that's a... we've learned. We've learned it's it's back to that whole thing of how you even view who you are as the as a child of God. Mm-hmm. If I understand myself as a child of God to be on mission, then I look at my world differently. I look at people in the church, the guy sitting down the pew. I mean, I, I go to churches where people don't talk to each other in the church, much mm-hmm. less in their neighborhood. So yeah. when we're talking about dying churches, it's a whole lot easier and more comfortable to talk about dying organizations than to recognize that the dying starts inside of us. Mm. Well, take up your cross daily, right? Yeah. Love um, it. The, I, I pulled out the, the curriculum that you wrote for that, for that, for the leadership focus stuff, yeah. like the, I think it's lesson three and you talk a lot about life cycles mm-hmm. and, um, you know, some of the questions you pose are, you know, what are the stages of a life cycle? What, what, you know, what are things that affect a life cycle? And we can answer those, you know, quickly if you want. But what I love is the, uh, the scripture passage that you use Acts 11, mm-hmm. um, 19 through 26 and then Acts 13, one through three. Um, I think you go on to ask how are the how are these two passages of scripture indicative of new life cycles, and then what the final question then there is what what type of environment were both of these like life cycles birthed in? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talk talk a little bit about you know why you chose yeah. those verses and those questions, and yeah. um, I mean, I know the answer because I mean I've taught it a couple of times, yeah, but right. like just the, the scripture passages are pretty, you know. Powerful. powerful. They're very powerful. Acts 11 is the recounting of the persecution happening in Jerusalem and Christians who are dying for their faith and fleeing into, you know, Greek, 
and, and, you know, other cultures. They're fleeing into other cities. They may have come from there, but they're fleeing now from Rome and from Jerusalem and fleeing back into these places. In the process of that, uh, when I ask, what's the environment? I want us to understand that, you know, so many times I hear churches say, well, we can't grow because there are five Baptist churches around us. Or, you know, we can't grow because, well, GM went out and everybody's left. And it's like, oh, for the love of Pete, shut up. You've not read the word of God. Mm-hmm. Here in the scripture, these people are literally under persecution, threat of of death, again, because of their faith in Christ, because I am out there telling Christ, I'm being persecuted and eat, but, but, and this is back to what I was saying about, we, we are the dying part of the church. Mm. Here's the deal. When they're fleeing, because if they tell about Christ, they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, be tied to a pole and burn. Here's the, in the fleeing, the scripture's very clear. They still can't keep their mouth shut. They tell everybody about Christ. I got to tell you about Jesus. Well, back to what you said, right? Like people are willing to die for their faith and, and and be persecuted for their faith, but we're not willing to know our neighbors. Exactly. That's a point. That and, is the point. Yeah. And you also brought up the, the, you brought up in your example about, oh, well, you know, the Ford plant closed and, you know, there's a lot of social, economical and community tragedies that can happen. But I also feel like, the I feel like that's an excuse because if you have a steel plant or and I'm steel plant thinking about Middletown because you know that's a big steel company Cortland and Youngstown was a big yeah. steel industry oh, yeah. too that Huge. became the, the Rust Belt and it's like when something like that happens that is pure opportunity for the church to thrive exactly. and really minister to those people who have lost everything, who have lost their livelihood, who have lost their dignity, who have even lost their identity. If their identity is working in the steel mill and now the steel mills are closed up, who am I? Yes. And then that's when the church can say, you are a child of God. Exactly. Well, and, and the whole conversation Dang. and I've, yes, I've said it about, you know, Baptist, you jokingly Jeanette said Baptist church, but like the, uh, I have noticed in the last five, six, seven, eight years that Baptist church, like the two main churches that really thrive are Baptist churches and like non-denominational churches. And what I mean by that is that like people really want to go somewhere where there's not a whole lot of, you know, deep theological truth, but it's like a church and people don't want the, the, I don't know, dictatorship of like, you know, bylaws and this, that, and the other. They just want to go to church or you have the Baptist side of things where there, at least there's, theological structure and you know conservative yeah right right and so like i think part of the reason those churches those types of churches are growing is that they know what they believe and they're willing to 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 stick with what they believe and not really have the issue i'm not saying those churches don't have issues because every church has their issues however going in the door you know what they believe right and by the time you leave you know what they believe and so like it's um it's challenging but to your, back to your point, like, why don't people jump on those things? Yeah, exactly. No, I think I think exactly what you guys are saying is so true. Um, and I, I think one of your questions, I think, was, you know, something about why are churches dying or something. And, and it is true. It's because we don't love our neighborhood. We 
Mm. You know, we find excuses why we're not growing as a congregation instead of loving our neighborhood, instead of loving our community. And Scott, you were smack on. Is there ever a better time to do Mm. outreach and church growth than when a community is hurting over the closing of a plant? That's not an excuse for a church to die. Well, even even let's go back to 20 when we go when go back to 2020 in where I lived in Virginia, we had the pandemic and then we had a bunch of rain and so much rain that literally people's homes were being flooded. Yeah. And our whole downtown like was underwater in some ways. So there were businesses that had lost everything. There were people who have lost everything. And me and a few other people within the church decided, hey, we're going to go. And yeah. help pump water out of people's basements. We're going to help move damaged furniture and stuff out of their house and put it on the curb or haul it to the dump. And we and we did that. And that and I felt like while we were doing that, there are some people who are like, "We're in the middle of a pandemic. What are you doing going to people's homes? And you could get COVID. You could die." And it's like, I'm wearing a mask. I'm wearing gloves. I'm doing the best I can. But that shouldn't be. An but if you know Jesus, does it matter? Was that? But if you know Jesus, does it matter? Because you go be with him. That's all I'm oh, saying. Oh, jeez. Oh, my. No, I'm I serious. Wanna, I don't even no, want to no, get no. into that. I don't even want to get into that theology. <laughs> but I no, mean, I I'm, get you. <laughs> what I'm saying is if you have salvation in Jesus Christ and you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you believe in heaven and you believe yes. in eternal life with him, if something like COVID or, you know. Oh, you, yeah. Okay. You know, I got, sorry. I've heard I, Jeanette I, preach it from the pulpit. Like you get hit by a bus. Right. And if you know Jesus, you're going to be fine because you're going to be with him. Yeah. Okay. So, sorry. Sometimes I always take it the other way where people are just like, oh, like, like, uh, but basically, well, since I, it's more of since I have Jesus, then I don't really have to do anything. You know, it's the, it's, oh. it's the, you know, there's the external, I understand what you're saying. Like, oh, if I have Jesus in my heart and I'm dressed to, I'm dressed in a hazmat suit. I'm going to help people. And even if I do get sick, it's okay. I'll be fine because I have Jesus. I have my faith in God. And if I die, I get to be a Jesus. There you go. Right. I think sometimes people go, well, because I have been saved and I'll use saved that Jesus. Now I have fulfilled. I have now fulfilled my spiritual life's journey. So now I'm just sitting around twiddling my thumbs for the J train to come pick me up and take me home. Yeah. yeah. And I think those are two different theologies. Two very. <laughs> well, and back to the the conversation about knowing your neighbor, loving your neighbor, knowing the people around you. Um, Melissa Pratt, who's the pastor at Hayes Valley Church in West Virginia, they ch- they shared the other day on their um, their Facebook page. It's uh, a post that says, "How do people start attending church?" And it says, two percent is from an advertisement. Six percent uh, of people are invited by a church staffer. Six uh, percent impacted by a church program, VBS." For example, Scott, for your context mm-hmm. last week, but 86% of people are actually invited by a friend. That's, I'm back to telling you, church health is related to individual people in that church's spiritual health. Mm. Scott, how do you feel about all this? You haven't said a whole lot. I know that. Well, because I'm I'm just taking it all in. I hijacked the I Scott Seven Scott podcast. Seven podcast, but sometimes Scott Seven podcast needs to be fed too with all the great content. No, I mean I feel I mean we even though we had a schedule, I felt like we kind of tackled a lot of it. And yeah. mm-hmm. I guess the big thing is, you know, I think there's two key things when the church recognizes that hey, 
we definitely need help. Um, whether it's you telling them and someone says it felt like you kicked me in the stomach. Um, but I also think, do we have to wait till we get to the point where we are in like a crisis or is there something where we can just simply say, okay, we noticed something's off. We should go get checked. And the reason why I bring this up is, you know, the church I'm working at now about, I don't know, like maybe eight, 10 years ago, they had like a consultant person come in. They did an assessment of the church, talked to people in the neighborhood, did all this stuff and brought back this information. And it helped shift the course of the church during that time. Um, Again, with having a new past lead in the, uh, in the seat and some challenges of COVID and kind of how that affected the dynamics of the church. They're now doing it again because they're thinking, okay, things have changed. Our culture has changed. The pastors changed. COVID changed everything. So let's have someone again, come relook at, reevaluate everything and see where we need to go. So we can rebrand. Now I wouldn't say rebrand, but re look, re reevaluate our vision and our mission. Are we doing, do we need to change? Do we need to set, you know, what are our goals and everything else? And I think, in some ways, you know, they're not, the church isn't at a point where they are like, oh man, we, we're dying, but they're at a point now where they're going to go, we notice that there's some symptoms that we're seeing that we don't think are good. Right. Let's go get a diagnosis. Let's go get help and let's see what we can do to move forward and to be more healthier as a church. And I think in that aspect, you don't have to wait till, you've lost you lost like 40 you know dude you're down to three people going oh we need to change like you can do it anytime no you should do it in fact is if Mm. if you understand life cycles the best time to do that is when you're at the when it's really singing and things are going well and strong that's the best time because it's just like it's it's like when we try to shoot uh, a missile into space. Mm-hmm. If you if you understand that very well, the the Earth's orbit, the the way the Earth is spinning, the the trajectory has to be at a certain moment. It's why they shoot it off at five o five p.m. or twelve o eight a.m. or whatever. It's because the Earth is at such a position at that moment. That's when that rocket can take off. Same thing is true with life cycles. If you wait till you're so far down on the life cycle, I'm really there to talk to you about hospice. Mm. How can I make you comfortable on the way out? And what do you do with what, you know, what do you want to do with what you got left? That's what I'm there to talk to you about. If you catch it when you're at the, at the top, that's when you can do the most to just keep, and you should keep launching new life cycles. That's what keeps a church going is they keep launching new life cycles that uh, that's why the book of Acts, Acts has, uh, Micah brought up Acts 11. Acts actually has, I clearly identified seven different life cycles in the early church. Seven Mm -hmm. times the early church relaunched a life cycle. Um, so yes, Scott, don't wait till you're down the life cycle. It it should actually, I encourage churches, you actually about every three years, no more than five, every three to five years, you got to have an outside person come in and 
and just take a look, do an audit, do a consultation. You don't have to pay big bucks. Have somebody who knows what they're doing come in and just walk with the staff for a weekend and evaluate. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to kick a hornet's nest with this next question, but it's, <laughs> you know, I've, I've been in churches where we've had folks come in, right. And do cons- you know consultations with staff. And I've been on staff during those, those times. Um, Jeanette, how often is it, is it the, the leadership that's the problem and not the church? And what, what do you do with those situations? When you say leadership, are you talking about the pastoral leadership? Okay. Yes. yes. Um, how, how often is that the case? And, you know, yeah. like, is it they've stayed too long or is it they, sure. uh, they're not getting stuff done within, you know, the first, I don't know, three to five years that they're there. They're not really casting vision. Um, they're, yeah. they're the problem, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, I've been in places where that could be the issue and, I worked at a church years ago where a pastor had been at that church for 27 years and it was just time. It was yeah. time for him to go. So uh, back to my, I guess, back to my question, like what, you know, in the church health and the church leadership situations, how, how often is it uh, the pastoral staff or the pastor? I, I think probably I would say at least 75% of the time uh, the pastor and or staff are contributors to the problem, if not the issue. And here's why. Um, And I say this to pastors all the time. Uh, If a church is dying and you're the one with the reins in your hand, you're the one in leadership and you did nothing about it, guess who's to blame here? Um, Mm. That's that's on you. You're, You're holding the reins. You should have done something. And generally they don't because... It's that whole ego thing of, I can do this. Uh, I don't want them to know that I can't do this. I, I have to make this happen. So pastors can become um, a- almost chokehold on a church because they're determined. They're, so all they all I need to do is read one more book. All I need to do is go to a con. I, I don't. I don't want my church to know I can't when the truth of the matter is the healthiest thing in the world is for a pastor to recognize I can't, I cannot do this alone. I've got to have external help. I need people in the church. I need staff. The more we realize, you know, it's such a biblical concept. It's the body of Christ. It's, it's not an individual. Um, So I'd say, you know, maybe 75% of the time, if they're not the cause, they're the, the big contributor. So, and it takes a different, you know this, uh, Micah, from coaching. It takes different skill sets are required at different phases of a life cycle. Mm-hmm. So a certain a certain skill set, a certain personality is required to launch a life cycle to get a life cycle going, but it takes all of us together um, to keep a life cycle healthy. Hmm. Um, uh, Scott, do you have other questions? I have like, I think one more, but do you have. uh... I guess here's, here's my question. Maybe this might be a bit controversial. So (laughs) Um, I feel like there's been talk, at least people in, who have a much higher 
position than I do, where they value church planning over revitalization. And in some ways, I understand the methodology. In some ways, I also have an issue because I can look at like the few churches that I have served as pastor and I could see, you know, if I had a certain amount of whether it be funding or just an extra set of hands or another person or another person on staff, I felt like the church would have been at a great point where we could have really did some great things and could have easily revitalized mm-hmm. versus there's other people. I'm like, yeah, this something needs to happen because I don't know what can be done at this point. I, I feel like it's, it's a, the writings on the wall. And yet I feel like sometimes within upper leadership, whether it's state ministries, national ministries, where they're so focused on planning churches that they're not really focused on taking care of the churches that they already have, especially those that may have the potential for that can successfully be revitalized. And I just don't under, and I just don't know if it's just because church planning is more easier because you don't have to deal with the history in that. Like, I don't understand the reason why someone will say, well, we're going to do this and let's not even focus on revitalization where I know Dan Turner specifically wrote a book on revitalization. has talked about examples of the churches he's pastored at where they did do a successful revitalization. So can you, can you speak into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Well, I think there are probably several contributing streams to that, Scott. One, you said it, church planting as hard as it is, and it is hard, is still easier than revitalization. Revitalization is a bear. It is just a bear because you're dealing with people that you're making uncomfortable. Oftentimes people leave, you know, they get mad and leave. You know, there are just a lot of things in revitalization that are difficult. You're changing so much and it's, it's just painful and hard. Um, And so I think that's one of the contributing factors. Secondly, to be honest with you, I, I think that, in order to deal, this sounds terrible, in order to deal with church revitalization, we would actually have to talk about as a, as a movement, we would actually have to talk about church health. And when we talk about church health, we would actually have to talk about spiritual renewal. And we would actually have to begin to address the malaise and the apathy that is among us right now we would so rather than do that it's really sexy to talk about planting a church that's really <laughs> church, that's really sexy and aren't we doing good kingdom things yeah so, but we don't know how many we have <laughs> so it's easier to do that than to actually do the true evaluation that says why are we where we are when it's a whole lot more fun to point to, you know, a couple of church plants and go, Ooh, look what we're doing. Um, so I, I think there are a lot. Plus, uh, to be honest with you, the skill set for um, the skill set for planting a church. And and I don't mean this badly because I I've worked with church planters. I know how hard it is, but the skill set for a church planter is easier to find than to find someone who knows how to revitalize a church. Revitalization leadership Mm 
is really hard to come by. That's very hard to come by. Somebody who really has that that delicate skill set that knows how to take a, a dying church and help those people love them, coerce them, convince them, you know, onto a healthy road. It, that is a difficult. So I don't think we have a lot of leaders who know how to do revitalization either. I think that's another contributing factor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, good, stuff. good stuff. I guess kind of, I mean, my I guess my last question, uh, years ago, my dad was pastoring a church and you went and, um, you did like a weekend uh, with them and you did basically what you're talking about. You went in, you had the conversation with them, you saw how things are doing. And I remember cause you sent me the document, but it was like, you gave them three options. One was stay where you are and shut your doors, shut your doors because you're just gonna, no, I'm sorry. Shut your doors and just, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Shut your doors or move, relocate, plan a new church and sell your building. Or three, just close your doors, yeah. right? right? And ultimately, that church closed. Um, yep. My my dad is no longer there and hasn't been for five or six years. Yep. Um, how often, in your experience, a have you given churches that kind of charge, and then b, do they follow through with that advice and or? Do they turn it around? I guess like we're talking about with revitalization and whatnot. Do they actually turn it around? In your experience, how many churches have actually A, followed your advice and then B, been able to turn it around because they followed it? Or they just C, completely ignore Jeanette Flynn and just you'd be yeah. stupid to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, just, yeah. can, you know, do it, do exactly what you're saying, right? Like they're going to die or they're not going to be there in five, 10 years. How often, you know, what kind of results are you seeing with with some of those conversations that you've had over the years? I I would say um, when I think back over, uh, you know, not not that I'm that bright or that smart. It's just that the life cycle evaluation actually works. So I would say that a hundred percent of the time, what I tell them is accurate, or what we tell them in a consultation is very accurate. Whether or not they take it. I would say probably I've experienced that churches have actually heard and done something about it about 50% of the time, about 50%, about 50% of the time they, um, you know, kind of help you pack your bag and leave quickly. It's like, yeah, well, thanks. It's not what we wanted to hear. So leave. Or it's that we're not willing to pay the price. About 50% of the time, though, they actually are willing to do it. It's never without bloodletting, though. Please, I mean, you know, anybody listening to this probably thinks I'm a horrible person. There is no way to turn around a church without some pain. It just is a costly process um, because somebody is losing something. They are losing it. it and that's that's where conflict and grief that's in a church. Most of the time when there's conflict and grief, the basis is a sense of loss by somebody that we don't have the organ anymore, or we're not singing my songs in, you know, th- those kinds of things. That's true. When you try to turn a church around, inevitably there's a, 
there is grief over a sense of loss. And so about 50% of the time, um, you know, I've, I've been involved uh, in a number of interim positions. Now I'm, and it's my fifth one. Um, and I've done a ton of consultations, but I'd say about 50%. It, it's better when, when you do the intern because you're with them. I mean, you know, you're with them for the, the pain and the grief. Consultations are less effective because you're, you're there for a weekend or you're there you're for a Sunday there for a weekend yeah. and you're telling sick people how to get well, if they could have done it on their own, they would have. Mm-hmm. And so then you tell them and then you leave. So it's why now I'm pouring more energy into interims because I find that I can actually, I actually have a way better record when I do an interim. So, I say too, that it's a, it's, a, it's too late in most cases too. Like if they're calling, if they're calling folks in, it's because they, they know they're in trouble, but then it's too late to fix it because it's like, oh, I'm calling you because, you know, I don't fix that leaky pipe, right. To use the illustration that I talked about earlier, but like somebody to blame when we die, it was hmm. Jen's fault because she came in and did, (laughs) she did this. (laughs) Yeah. You helped shut their doors. Yeah. If we call a consultant in, then we know who to blame. (laughs) Yeah. Not, not the pastor. No. <laughs> well, no, this, this conversation has been very illuminating in some ways. And I hope those of you who are uh, listening to this podcast, hopefully you, you feel the same way. And maybe you may be in a situation, maybe you're a pastor and you're just like, Hey, things are going well. We're kind of at our, we're at our summit. Uh, go get a consultation. And maybe your son goes, man, I feel like we're sliding down into the pit. Go get a consultation wherever you are in your life cycle. Get a consultation. Get someone to help, whether it's within your own denomination, whether it's an outside person. Um, you know, find somebody to to assess things. So, uh, Jeanette, again, thank you so much for being back on the show and sharing your Guys, wisdom with us. It's always a treat, treat for me. So, thank you. Yep. And before we go, we got mail call, Micah. Oh, awesome! Yay! So. <laughs> So I, th- episode, I think, I, I think <laughs> you don't know. It depends. So this is actually not bad. So this comes from, this comes from uh, the, on our YouTube page, uh, episode 191, when we talked about the do's and don'ts of planning a convention, I mentioned something about an app for the convention where you could schedule stuff. I talked about how students were scheduled for a thing and then they go in there and then the thing's full. And then my students are wandering the hallways. Uh, so and I talked about how I had a really good app when I was at the Children's Pastors Convention uh, back in February. So the question came from PF, and he wrote, I'm curious as to what apps were were that the convention used. I've been using a conference that uses Cadence. The way it worked was when I attended, to create a schedule was only for my own planning process. It didn't actually register me to hold a seat for the session. It would be nice if I made a reservation for a seat. I have to say kudos to you for taking you to a convention in this day and age heart. So BF. <laughs> so there's really so, so there's Hearts. really two apps. So when I was at the youth conference, they use an app called Sketch. Uh C-H-E, short for schedule, I guess. I'm 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 too tired to spell stuff out now. Um, but that was the same thing. I saw all the different morning sessions. I could click on one, they told me the room, but it didn't really reserve my seat. As opposed to at the CPC conference, they use an app called um, 
Excel events. And that, not only I could scan a QR code for my registration to get in, but then I could also go to the classroom. They would scan the Q, my, my registration code, and they would could instantly tell if I was supposed to be in that classroom or not there in that hour. So then that way, any class that I booked, I could get in. Um, there were some issues with that. Like with any apps, there's always going to be some bugs and some issues. But for the most part, they even, those people, not only did they have the scanners to scan it, they also had paper too. So in case if something wasn't working or they couldn't scan it, they could just see their name and say, yes, you're registered for the class. So they always had a backup to that, which is why the CPC conference was probably one of the smoothest conferences I ever been to as far as registering, checking in, and then getting into the classes that I scheduled. So thank you so much, PF, for that conversation. And again, there is Excel events is the one that I use that I could really book my morning sessions and actually guarantee that I could get into that session without it being overbooked. Um, but that's going to do it for us here at the Scott Simmons podcast. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend and we'll be back on with the next episode, which our guest is going to be my dad. So yay. There'll be two Scott Simmons. <laughs> so look forward I'm to that. Be outnumbered. You'll be outnumbered. All right, um, friends have a great day. Take be care. Be blessed guys. Yeah.